Book of Ruth. So we're just going to walk through an introduction here, and we're literally going to introduce the, the book itself, the characters. If, you've not, if you're not familiar with Ruth, uh, understand that it reads less like a typical bi- book of the Bible. It, it's more of a story narrative, and it's a romance. It is definitely a romantic story. Uh, I've already made the pledge to you ladies that I will do my best to not suck the romance out of the book of Ruth. I'm still going to try to hold true to that pledge. It may be a challenge for me, but I'm going to try to do it. Uh, but I'm not going to I'm going to make that pledge this morning because this is just introduction, okay? So this is not the book. So this is more structured and more detailed. So first we're going to talk about the writer. So I did a lot of reading on this, and according to the Talmud, which is, if you don't know what that is, it's the central teaching of Judaism. And it's uh, the, the writer of the book of Ruth is the prophet Samuel. So the writer did know of David, and we learned that at the very end of the book. And so he, he doesn't just know about David, but he knows of the importance of David in the lineage of both Ruth and Christ and how those things link together. And Samuel would have been an obvious candidate and key character that would have knowledge of both of those things. Uh, Samuel served as both a priest of God uh, and a judge. So it's a very interesting time in Israel's history uh, when we come to the book of Ruth. And I want to get over here to this timeline here. So you see here, we, we see the timeline and... The book of Judges, if we start with Joshua, and most people, most scholars would, <coughs> it stretches here uh, from the 25th century, about mid-25th century, all the way into the 30th century. And it's a unique time. And so uh, Abraham is, is, is well in the past, of course. Uh, God's covenant with Abraham is right there, the sojourn in Egypt. Uh, and then they're led out by Moses, of course. Moses dies and, and uh, goes uh, to be with uh, his father's Sheol, of course, uh, where Abraham's bosom was. And Joshua takes over. And Joshua is, is unique in that he was Moses' second man in command. Uh, but then he takes up the reins as they're entering into the promised land. So they're not occupying the promised land yet, but Joshua ushers them in. They cross the River Jordan, and they begin Jericho and all the campaigns. And once, once the land is settled, even though they didn't do it 100% the way God told them to, God begins to use different judges, these men and Deborah, we won't leave her out by any means, as judges. And so a judge in the Old Testament was a person that God designated, and he would call upon them. He would send his messages through them. And Israel functioned without a king. They, they functioned with these judges, and it, it, God was essentially their king. Every other nation on the earth would have a, a tribal leader or a king of some sort, but Israel was unlike those nations in that God was their their king, and he would send his message and his leadership through these judges. Okay? And so Ruth, the book of Ruth, occurs during this time and this period. Following the judges uh, is when the kings begin. And it begins, of course, with uh, Solomon, 
uh, I'm, I'm sorry, with Saul and David. So uh, I noticed it was, David was a contemporary, he was alive when Samson was alive. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Samuel, who we believe is the author, served as both a judge and a priest. I don't think I had realized that. I, always, I knew he was a priest because every time you read about him, he's functioning as a priest. But uh, a lot of people believe that he, he also was a, uh, a, a judge and the last judge. And so he's, he's a part of this transition from judges to kings. Now, whose idea was it that Israel started having kings? The people. Very good. Not God's idea. And so again, my father taught me for all my life, and this is not a Bible term, but it's how he expressed it, that God has a permissive will and a directed will. And what he mean, meant by that was that just like here, it was not God's idea. In fact, God said, Israel, if you have kings, they're going to want taxes. They're going to want armies. They're going to carry your, way, your sons away to war. They're going to need palaces, all these things. You don't need a king. And the, the people just kept crying out, we want to be like other nations. We want a king. So God, in his permissive will, allowed them to have a king. And guess what happened? Taxes, wars, armies, power, all these things started. And that became a burden to the people. But at the same time, in God's permissive will, King David is used. He was in the very lineage of Christ. So God does have a directed will which is best. If we, if we can seek out and, and follow his directed will, things are much, much better, if not perfect. However, God knows we're human. He knows we are fallible. And as we make mistakes, he will have a permissive will in that we will, we will fall on our face. He will restore us. He will take care of us. And yet, he will accomplish his overall will in spite of us. And that is what he meant, my father meant by the, uh, the permissive will. So, again, Samuel is in a key position here uh, to understand. And, and he, would, he would have known, he's not a contemporary of Ruth, but he would have known the story of Ruth. Uh, and Boaz because one it would have been a well-known story throughout Israel and also he's in the area of Judah and so he's going to be very very familiar with this story and he's going to be absolutely equipped and able to trace the lineage of David back that far uh, the the Jewish people are very very good or were very good at tracing their their genealogy keeping those types of records and so Samuel would have been educated and had the resources to do all of these things. So as far as a writer, I think it's extremely likely that Samuel is the writer. And on top of that, uh, again, the, 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 the Talmud, uh, which would have been probably even more authoritative, those, those people that study and uh, understand the Talmud agree with that as well, that Samuel is probably the writer. So... Um, now let's talk about the context of Ruth. It, its context is important both in its place in Israel's history and in Israel's future. So, and we mentioned this already, but uh, it happened at the time of the judges, but at the uh, leading up to the end of the time of the judges, transitioning into the kings, uh, which includes David. And of course, David is key because he is a uh, part of of the lineage of Christ. 
And we're going to see, too, how Ruth also becomes part of this lineage. And that's pretty fascinating because of her condition when we, when we find Ruth initially. Um, I can't get this thing to work the way I want it to. We already talked about the dread. Now let's just go ahead and talk about the characters. I think I've said enough about all that. So first it's Naomi and her family. So Naomi and her family, Elimelech is her husband. Uh, they have two sons, uh, Malon and Shilon. That's the best thing to do with their names. Fortunately, they're only in chapter one, so I don't have to repeat it after chapter one. Uh, they're Israelites, and they, and they live in the region of Bethlehem, of Judea, and, and they were... Um, they, there was a time of famine, and they leave to settle in the land of Moab. Moab is right here on the map. Uh, so you have um, Dead Sea here, Sea of Galilee here, the Jordan River, and Moab right here. And so just across from the, the Promised Land over here a little bit south. And so the Israelites would have come through there on their way uh, up to begin their campaign to take over the land. Uh, there's a famine in Israel, and so uh, Naomi and her family, they leave and they go uh, into this land of Moab. Moab's extremely wicked. It, it is a horrid place. John Phillips describes it as an accursed race. Uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, the, uh, there were some standards set specifically for the people of Moab and how they couldn't be redeemed until after the 10th generation. Uh, we'll talk some more about that later on when we deal with Ruth. But so Ruth and Orpah both come from this land. They're, they're pagans. And um, the Moabites worship many gods, demon gods. Uh, and the the and by the way, when you see people worshiping literal idols, don't think that it's it is foolish and that that it's just a stone that's carved or a piece of wood or something. But never forget that there's probably demonic power behind those idols. And such was the case in Moab. Uh, the worst one is a god known as Chemosh or Chemosh. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. You just have to. Uh, deal with that on your own this was the one i've mentioned this in the past it's carved to be a great sitting idol that had its hands out like this and its belly its belly was open it was an open chamber that could be stoked with fire and they would throw wood upon it and and heat it until the hands would be cherry red and it was a very common practice <coughs> that the priest would come around and they would select small infants or small children and they would put red dye on them and there was no arguing with the priests. They had complete control. And they would sacrifice these infants and these small children by placing them on those red hot hands until they would begin to scald and squirm and then they would roll down into the fire. And they would do this any time that they thought there was a threat of war or famine and probably on a periodic basis. So we're not talking about, when you read in the Old Testament of God saying, go in and wipe these people out, he, he's not doing that on a whim. It was nations like this where God says, exterminate because how horrid of the things that were going on and what would their, what would their children's destiny be if God doesn't destroy them? God's always a, always a merciful God. 
So that was one of the gods of Moab. Another god was a fertility god. It was a goddess, actually. And again, the priests would come around, and they had full reign, and when they, be, they would keep their eye on young women, and as the young women began to mature, they would conscript these young women against their will, take them to the temples, and they would have sex orgies with these young women, forced sex orgies. And this was to make the crops more fertile and grow better crops. So when we talk about Moab, where Ruth and Orpah come from, this is where they come from. This is their heritage. And by the way, again, Ruth ends up in the lineage of who? Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you, you want to talk about a story of redemption. The book of Ruth is a story of redemption. So Orpah and Ruth are two Moabite women, and this is their heritage, the, their backgrounds of where they come from, this accursed race. Um, Boaz, uh, he's, our, he's our Prince Charming. He's our knight in shining armor. He's introduced in the second chapter of Ruth, and he becomes more central to the plot as the story continues to its climax. Um, he, the more you read about Boaz, the more you just, you know, you want to, you want to know him. He's a he's a great guy. He's in, in every aspect. You, I honestly think, and I can't prove it. I have no way to establish it. I think the story of Cinderella probably found it, its roots in this book of Ruth somehow, <laughs> indirectly, admittedly, indirectly. But this is the first Cinderella story. And that's the most retold love story there is, is Cinderella. It's told again and again and again. But Ruth is a hundred times better. If you, if you love romance, it, and I don't, but I love the book of Ruth. It's awesome. It's a great story. No, it's true. I really don't. Uh, it, because it's real, okay? It, it's, not, it's not fantasy. It's not shallow. It, it's not just sentiment. I mean, all the characters in it are so real, and it's more than just emotion and feeling. Those things are good, and those things are included and important, but there's more. There's substance behind the emotion. Maybe that's the best way to say it, and the romance. And so I love the book of Ruth for that reason. And if you want to talk about romance, man, it's here in this book. We also have the unwilling kinsman. Uh, I just put that other guy. And I, I put that because the book of Ruth doesn't even name him. We don't even know who he is. We just know that he's unwilling to meet his obligations and his responsibilities. And so we deal with him uh, uh, towards the end of the book, and we, and we learn about him. So, and I'm out of time, but then we have our thing, the theme. And I'm going to let you go. Without question, the theme of Ruth is redemption and favor. And some might argue that restoration is the theme. However, the book of Ruth moves far beyond restoration, the restoration of Naomi. It is indeed a love story which includes Ruth, who has no previous part in the blessings of Yahweh. None. She doesn't deserve anything. And yet Ruth illustrates both redemption and favor to the uttermost. Oh, it's a great story, and I hope that you do your reading and that you come back ready to discuss and, and to learn about the book of Ruth. Get into it. It's just four short chapters, and it reads so easily. It's such a great story, and I can't wait to start sharing, with it, sharing it with you next week. I love you. Get out of here. We'll see you then.